You can't predict how this will um, apply to each individual situation. New orders, new uncertainty. Community events left with questions about moving forward. Plus, there isn't a life-saving measure that they can offer. Why the family of a dying COVID patient in Prince George is speaking out. And... Well, I'm shocked. I really am. I mean, it was open yesterday. Shocked shoppers. Did COVID cause the closure of a Metro Vancouver Hudson's Bay store? You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking news. A rescue operation is underway at the Squamish Chief near Squamish to help a base jumper in trouble. Squamish RCMPs say the base jumper became stuck on the west face of the chief, also known as the Grand Wall. Paramedics, search and rescue volunteers and other emergency personnel are on scene. No word on any possible injuries. Popular holiday attractions like the Van Dusen Gardens and the Bright Nights Christmas Train are in limbo tonight. The Vancouver Park Board and private companies are among the growing list of groups trying to sort out the confusion of the latest COVID-19 restrictions. As Julia Foy reports, two days after Dr. Bonnie Henry's briefing, they're still waiting for clarification to see if their events can go ahead. It's been a holiday tradition for decades. But will the Stanley Park train stay on the tracks this year? We're optimistic that we're going to be able to offer the Bright Nights train event in Stanley Park and proceed with the Festival of Lights event in Van Dusen Botanical Garden. The Vancouver Park Board has spent weeks on a COVID safety plan, which includes putting in plexiglass dividers, restricting numbers and making masks mandatory on the train. But plans for a November 26th start may be derailed due to the latest provincial health order. The restrictions and limits, the maximum number of people we could have in an event was 50, and these events could take place in many different places. Those are now suspended across the province. The Festival of Lights event at Van Dusen Gardens is also slated to open November 27th. It was designed this year with COVID precautions in mind, but the plan would see up to 200 people circulating around the 10-acre site. We are seeking further clarity from uh, our partners at Vancouver Coastal Health as well as the Provincial Health Officer to understand the impact that the new orders may have on the events. Several events around Metro Vancouver are planned to open over the next few weeks, including Winter Lights, a drive-through event on the Peony grounds. We are really hopeful that as this event is similarly a drive-through experience that will allow people that are within their household bubble to stay within the safety of their vehicle and experience a wonderful, um, safe family experience and celebrate the holidays. The new public health order will remain in place until December 7th, and Dr. Bonnie Henry is expected to release more details about it next week. I need you to be superheroes, to step up, to hold the line. And if we do, Dr. Henry says there may be light at the end of the tunnel. Julia Foy, Global News. A COVID-19 outbreak has been declared at another long-term care home in B.C., this time in the Okanagan. Interior Health confirms one staff member at Orchard Manor in Kelowna tested positive for the virus. 
Outbreak protocols have been put in place, including a temporary halt to visitations. Contact tracing is also underway. To date, no long-term care residents have tested positive for COVID-19 at any facilities within Interior Health. On Vancouver's North Shore, Coastal Health has declared another outbreak on a unit at Lionsgate Hospital after a number of patients tested positive. The adjacent unit has also been placed on enhanced surveillance. The emergency department remains open, but the hospital will prioritize urgent and emergency surgeries and continuing with daycare cases. Patients who may be impacted will be contacted directly. An Alberta man is in a B.C. hospital tonight dying of COVID-19. His family has had to travel to Prince George to see him. As Global's Sarah Ryan explains, they're sharing their deeply personal story in hopes of encouraging others to stop the spread. 64-year-old Brent Renner told his kids he felt exhausted after driving from Lethbridge to B.C. for work on November 1st. We said, it's not going to be COVID. It's going to be that you just need a little bit of something to help you get over this chest cold or infection or whatever it might be. Two days later, an ambulance took him to the hospital in Prince George. Within one hour, he wrote back and said, I'm COVID positive. Renner has been on an oxygen tank for a decade, battling COPD. Despite taking precautions, his family thinks he picked up coronavirus at a store that later closed due to a positive case. His wife was tested as well, and she also had COVID, but zero symptoms. Renner has been in the ICU for nearly 20 days and isn't recovering. He has um, precious little lung left, is what they told me and there isn't a life-saving measure that they can offer. For his daughter, it's hurtful when people dismiss COVID or say it's only old people or sick people dying. Yeah, he was, but maybe he had more months and I would take more months. I would take more hugs. I would take more another Christmas. Jennifer Bradley wants her dad to be remembered as more than a statistic. The numbers of people who are dying, the people who are in their 70s or 80s and 90s, remember that that's somebody's mom and brother and uncle and best friend. And somebody loves them and that somebody had to die alone. Sarah Ryan, Global News. Tri-City shoppers are being met with a bit of a surprise and not a good one. An iconic retailer has closed its doors. A notice posted to the entrance of the Hudson's Bay at Coquitlam Centre says the company failed to pay its rent. It goes on to say the department store has 30 days to dispute the default. The company has been in a legal fight with a number of landlords across the country after failing to pay rent for the past seven months. There are no reports of any other locations closing at this time. Oh, I'm shocked. I really am. I mean, it was open yesterday. Everything seemed fine. And then come by today and it's locked up. An Okanagan bus driver says he feels unsafe at work. He says too many of his passengers aren't following the province-wide mandatory mask rules on his route. Darren Matassafung has more. Government doesn't mandate this. We need to park the bus until they do mandate it. Because this is our lives, this is our families. Our friends, co-workers, wake up. 
An emotional plea from Kelowna bus driver Les Bigger, who is fed up with passengers not complying with BC Transit's mandatory mask policy. They're still not wearing a mask. And okay, so when you stop them at the door and tell them to put on a mask, they put it on, they're not happy, they put it on, they walk by you. As soon as they walk by you, they take it off. Bigger believes more power should be given to bus drivers to enforce the province-wide mandatory mask policy. As soon as the government mandates it, that's it. Now the drivers can say, hey, hey, hang on a minute, you're not allowed on this bus until you put a mask on. He says if drivers do get the authority to enforce the policy, it could prevent aggressive and even violent situations from happening. Like this fight in Surrey that broke out when one passenger asked another to wear a mask. BC Transit did offer a statement on enforcement of the policy stemming from Thursday's provincial health order, which mandates masks in all indoor public spaces. First pointing out there are medical exceptions to the rule, then going on to say, our transit supervisors and managers will now have authority to enforce compliance with the assistance of local authorities. Most people we talked to agreed that bus drivers should have the power to enforce the policy. Yeah, I believe they should have that power. They should have the right to do that. Uh, you're putting their lives in jeopardy, you know, and they're offering a service to the public. You know, when you're on the bus, people are coughing, sneezing, why shouldn't he have the authority to police his own buses? Darian Matassafung, Global News, Kelowna. And then start to the pandemic ski season at BC's Sun Peaks Resort means competing with Dr. Bonnie Henry's directive to avoid all non-essential travel. This, as another major ski destination, is not asking people to stay away ahead of its opening day. Kristen Robinson reports. For a season that could be going downhill, Sun Peaks is kicking off with all three mountains open. Good. Yeah, it's really good. The snow is sick. It was a bluebird day. With a public health directive to avoid non-essential travel, the resort northeast of Kamloops saw many locals hitting the hill and cancellations ahead of opening day. We can manage those cancellations, I guess, for the next couple of weeks, but if the orders are extended out past December 7th, um, then I think we're going to start running into uh, a few more challenges the closer we creep to those, to those Christmas holidays. Although disappointed, businesses say they understand the need to play it safe. Being open with less people is going to be better than being closed with, with, uh, with outbreaks and that kind of stuff. Southeast of Prince George, McBride normally sees a huge influx of Albertans during snowmobile season. The village of 600 confirmed its first COVID case earlier this month. With British Columbians urged not to travel beyond their community, councillors will be meeting Tuesday to discuss how to balance community safety with out-of-province visitors. Think deeply about your travel. Take personal responsibility. Whistler Blackcomb opens next Thursday, and with COVID-19 exposures at three Whistler bars and restaurants over Halloween, the municipality's mayor has a warning. Uh, if you're going to ski, make sure you do everything in your power to lower the risk that you are a part of spreading COVID-19. Uh, get in your car at your house, drive to the ski hill, ski, stay away from people, and drive home. Communities that depend on mountain traffic are hoping a two-week crackdown will be enough to get them back on track to some semblance of a normal year. Kristen Robinson, Global News.
Delta police are issuing a warning to parents in North Delta after a suspicious incident near a local school. A young girl told her dad she'd been followed home from school by a stranger on Thursday. The school is Gray Elementary on 82nd Avenue, and the man was driving a minivan. Despite ignoring him, the driver pulled up beside her and asked if she wanted a ride home. She said no and ran home. Delta police want to speak with anyone who may have dash cam or other video footage of the area of 82nd Avenue from 112th Street to 114th Street on Thursday between 3 and 3.30. The driver is said to be white in his mid to late 30s with a bald head, a dark brown mustache and brown eyes. Police in West Vancouver are investigating a serious overnight crash on Highway 1. Police say speed was a factor in the crash near the Capilano River at 3 o'clock this morning. And they're now trying to confirm where the driver or other passengers are. No word on whether anyone was injured. Crews were on scene cleaning up the damage. Anyone who witnessed the crash or has dash cam footage is asked to contact West Vancouver Police. A sudden announcement today from the B.C. Liberal leader. Days after the NDP won a majority government last month, Andrew Wilkinson said he'd step down as party leader as soon as a replacement was chosen. But this morning on social media, he resigned effective immediately. Nadia Stewart has more. In a Facebook post, Andrew Wilkinson laid out his reasons for stepping aside as Liberal leader, making way for someone to step in as the party rebuilds. It is now time for me to leave the role of opposition leader, writes Wilkinson, as the voters of British Columbia have made their preference clear. In doing so, I welcome the selection of an interim leader from our caucus and willfully support her or him as our caucus prepares to act as the official opposition once again. This was the worst election defeat for the party since 1991, claiming just 29 seats. And throughout the campaign... Bowen is, you know, very pretty lady, and uh, she knows that she's got it, and um, she knows how to get Ralph going. Wilkinson and the party stumbled from one misstep to another. Now the party is hitting the reset button. In his statement, Wilkinson writes, we need to rebuild and renew, and that starts with tough conversations and sincere reflections, something Wilkinson says he himself has been doing. There is speculation longtime Prince George Valemount MLA Shirley Bond or Kamloops North Thompson MLA Peter Millibar are the front runners to lead the party in the interim. Party members are set to cast their votes Monday. Thank you. So they can fill the void left by Wilkinson's departure. Nadia Stork, Global News. There are concerns that crime in Stanley Park may be on the rise. Staff at the landmark Tea House restaurant say they've had three break-ins this month, a trend they've never experienced in four decades of business. Paul Johnson has more. I sleep at night with my phone beside my head waiting for those 2 a.m. phone calls from a security company that the alarms are going off. For Jason Kelly, manager of Stanley Park's Tea House restaurant, those alarms are sounding far too often. By day, Stanley Park remains the bucolic oasis in the city. Come nightfall, though, it seems that criminal minds are more inspired than ever. We are a sitting duck. Check out the restaurant's surveillance camera lately, generating a highlight reel of low-level felonies. From this vandal, who couldn't resist a second shot at smashing Kelly's expensive windows, to the beefy burglar whose biggest barrier to entry was hoisting his belly over the window frame. 
the tea house is seeing about three times as much crime as usual. Pumpkins thrown through the windows, rocks through the windows. The latest one was a, a cinder block through the window. One thief even made off with a set of chef's knives worth thousands. While Kelly's committed to staying open, his competition in the park, the Prospect Point Cafe, has closed up until spring at the earliest. And who could blame them? Kelly says changing crime patterns that came with the pandemic and the park board's reconfiguring of access to the park means fewer visitors. I still get phone calls about parking or can we still park? So people don't even know. So people have been scared away from the park and I just think that brings the criminal element more to the surface. Vancouver police Sunday couldn't confirm if they were going to bolster patrols in the park or not, but said they'd look into it. But in the meantime, with no change and long winter nights ahead, Kelly's worried his 40-year-old restaurant will continue to inspire even the most unlikely cat burglars. In Stanley Park, Paul Johnson, Global News. Dog owners in the Fraser Valley are being warned to be vigilant while walking their pets in local parks. The BCSBCA is advising dogs be kept on a leash. It follows four reports of dogs becoming ill after ingesting unknown toxic substances in parks in the river's edge area of Chilliwack. The canines became sick after visiting Rotary Trail, Peach Park and Vetter Park. Some owners reported seeing dog food with a mysterious powder on it. Anyone with information is asked to call the SBCA or Chilliwack RCMP. I think that's that's terrible. Like, there's enough crap there's going enough on in the world in the world. poisoning someone's dog. Uh, I had heard about the uh, peach trail problem what was that? where a number of dogs became ill. It's not like we have nothing else to worry about. Now we got to add much of your dog getting yeah, poisoned. A chocolatier in rural Hungary is putting masks on his chocolate Santas. It was intended as a light-hearted move to raise people's spirits amid a worsening pandemic. But after he posted a picture of the masked chocolate Santas, he received a flood of negative comments on his social media page. His customers were initially stunned, but orders have since surged online, and now he can hardly keep pace with demand. And then there's this a photo posted by Alberta Health Services showing the strain of COVID-19, not just on the healthcare system, but on its healthcare workers, too. The ICU physician in the photo is Dr. Simon Demers Marcel on his knees, head in hands, calling a family to tell them a loved one had died of COVID-19. The tweet comes with a message asking Albertans to help prevent the spread of the virus by following all public health measures. As COVID-19 continues to surge across the country, Canada's biggest city and a neighboring region prepare to lock down. At midnight Monday, major new restrictions come into effect in Toronto and Peel. As Morgan Campbell reports, some of the behavior we're seeing in those communities now is reminiscent of months ago. Waiting more than an hour in line for a haircut is the last place this youngster wants to be. I just don't like sharp things near my head. But mom has different plans. We'd like to take at least some nice family Christmas pictures inside our house. If you live in Toronto or Peel region, it was easy to see. 
People doing the mad dash before those areas go into lockdown at 12.01 Monday morning. Well, if I don't get one today, I'll probably have to wait till after the lockdown. Lineups began forming first thing Saturday morning outside of retail stores in Toronto as some malls extended shopping hours. Once in lockdown, gyms, salons, recreational facilities and non-essential retail stores will have to close their doors. The lockdown is expected to last at least 28 days. It's unknown at this point if the Ford government will extend the lockdown into the new year. The premier is asking people to consider online shopping and curbside pickup in advance of the holidays. By avoiding the panic buying, we can make sure that supply chains are not impacted and there's enough for everyone. People could be seen stocking up on not just the necessities, but picking up Christmas gifts as well. We're not sure when it, they're going to be open again, so it's better to go shopping this weekend. Retailers pull in nearly half of the year's sales in the last five to six weeks of the year. This is going to be particularly damaging for what I, what I call bricks and mortar retailers. This stands in contrast to online retailers who in fact may see a surge in orders. Meanwhile, the province continues to see an upward trend in record numbers of infections. Saturday marking the new high at nearly 1,600, with nearly half of those positive cases coming out of Toronto and Peel region. Morgan Campbell, Global News. China isn't taking any chances with the pandemic. The government began mass testing 3 million people following the discovery of a few new domestically transmitted COVID cases. According to local authorities, all residents in the Binhai district of Tianjin will be tested. The mass testing comes after China's National Health Commission recorded 11 new domestically transmitted cases between Friday and today. Local authorities also sealed off a residential community, a hospital, and a kindergarten. As of today, there have been more than 12 million infections in the world's worst affected country, America. Hospitalizations are rising so rapidly that military medical professionals are being called in to help with staff shortages. Yet despite warnings to stay home, tens of millions of Americans are expected to travel for Thanksgiving over the next week. Jennifer Johnson reports from Washington. The U.S. Department of Health reports over 1,000 hospitals spanning all 50 states are critically short on staff as the COVID-19 pandemic infects record numbers of Americans day after day. I have never seen so much death and so much sickness in the past two weeks than I have in my entire 10 years in healthcare. In North Dakota, which has one of the highest death tolls per capita, Air Force nurses are being called in to alleviate staff shortages. In Oregon, new cases, hospitalizations and deaths are setting daily records. Other states are seeing dramatic spikes in positivity rates too. It's rather shocking, but about one in every 49 Coloradans are contagious with this. Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles is one of hundreds of sites across the country flooded with people lining up to be tested. Right now we have a pandemic that is completely out of control. And the reason it's out of control is we still don't have the public health infrastructure to test, trace and isolate. And without that, people can't know their status. They go about their lives and they infect other people. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is recommending people not travel this Thanksgiving holiday. But the American Automobile Association predicts close to 50 million Americans will go out of town to celebrate with loved ones. We felt like we're being safe and 
and he's going to get tested before he sees his grandma. Many college students feel they had no choice but to come home. Campus actually is closing their like dorm, like living in the actual dorm. More shutdowns have been ordered. No more indoor dining at restaurants in several U.S. cities, including Philadelphia. Business is so bad at the moment that uh, we're not making rent. A new study by the CDC has found government mandates that require masks dramatically slow the spread of COVID-19. Yet some states are making masks mandatory, while others still are not. That state-by-state approach to fighting the pandemic is something President-elect Joe Biden plans to change when he takes office January 20th. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. Elected leaders around the world have held daily briefings in response to the pandemic, but only one is receiving an Emmy Award for their updates. On Monday, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo will receive an International Emmy Award for his response and leadership to try to slow the spread of COVID-19 in New York. The award is presented to an individual or organization who, quote, crosses cultural boundaries to touch our common humanity. The International Academy said the governor's nine or governor's 111 daily briefings worked so well because he effectively created television shows with characters, plot lines and stories of success and failure. Prior recipients of the award include US Vice President Al Gore, Oprah Winfrey and Steven Spielberg. Canada and Britain have struck a new trade deal ahead of the Brexit deadline. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Boris Johnson met today, both calling it a historic day for both countries. The interim deal will replace Canada's current agreement with Britain under the European Union. Britain formally left the EU at the end of January, but the two parties have lived under an 11-month transition period. Johnson believes free trade is a way to get the economy going post-pandemic. Thank you. Listen, Justin, I just want to say uh, I, I agree very much with what, uh, with what you've said and what uh, Mary and Liz have just said. Free trade is an important part of the way we're going to bounce back from, from COVID. Uh, but I, I also think that Canada and the, and the UK uh, share a perspective about building back greener and, uh, and using the, the, this as a moment in which to, to tackle climate change. Britain is Canada's fifth largest trading partner. In Health Matters tonight, a British study has found that people who have contracted COVID-19 are unlikely to contract the disease again for at least six months. There have been reports of reinfection rising, raising concerns rather that immunity might be short-lived. But the study carried out among a group of UK healthcare workers suggests cases of reinfection are likely to remain extremely rare. The research was conducted over a 30-week period between April and November. The results have yet to be peer-reviewed. This is uh, potentially uh, significant news. It extends the period for which we know there is likely protection, and hopefully that period will extend further and further. Uh, We know there may be limits to that. It also gives us uh, hopes as well on the vaccine side that if we start to see similar immune responses to the vaccine, we may hope for longer periods of protection. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. How actor Ryan Reynolds answers the question, how did you deal with quarantine? His answers, plural, right after Yvonne's forecast. And speaking of cute, have a look at this. So cute. 
There he is. A big debut for a little guy in the, in the Netherlands. Fan Jing is a male giant panda. He was born this past spring but was shown off to the world for the first time on Friday. Oh my goodness, we want more pictures of the panda. We, there he is. There he is. Oh, he's so cute. Oh, so cute. Right? Anyone who got to see him today must have been very exciting. We, we wanted to put that in just for you because I know love you're a it. Panda person. <laughs> I don't have pandas for you today, but I do have a sighting of some eagles along the North Shore, so we'll show you those. Uh, this was captured by our cameraman, uh, Pat, so thank you so much, Pat Bell, at the foot of Fell Street near Waterfront. Look at this video. Aren't they beautiful? I know it's not pandas, but that's no, very cool. They're North spectacular. Bend, if, you're if you managed to catch that, so thank you so much, Pat, for sending that in. All right, it was beautiful out there today, Colleen. Good evening, everyone. We managed to see some breaks. We're just in between systems, so we had some dry conditions. We do have a bit of a different weather story and picture as we get in towards tomorrow, and I'll show you more in just a moment. We'll start off with a few photos early this morning paddling, so thank you so much, Radic, for capturing that. In Pemberton, this was captured by Daryl with some breaks and a stunning view just along the water. Kamloops, this one taken by Linda and another beautiful shot in Kamloops with some frost. This one taken by Lindsay and another one in Lona, a spectacular shot taken by Sandra, so thank you so much. It was bright out there, it remains dry. This is the Wall Centre Hotel Tower Cam this evening. We do have temperatures on the cool side and it'll cool off this evening. We're currently sitting at 5 degrees. We've got an increase in cloud cover, some fog developing overnight and for the early morning hours, so a heads up. It is going to cool off. We'll dip down to 3 degrees. Tomorrow morning, it looks like it'll start off dry with cloud cover. The fog will dissipate and then by the afternoon, we've got that next wave of rain that is going to move across the region and a touch cooler for tomorrow with temperatures up to 6 degrees. Here's the break that we were seeing through the day, but this next system pushing in along coastal areas. We do have a snowfall warning along the north coast inland, a range between 20 and up to 25 centimeters. Stewart is included within that, and it looks like it'll taper off as we get in towards the afternoon tomorrow. And there is the risk of freezing rain inland this evening. We are seeing that transition and temperatures uh, through the region. It'll start to ease off this evening, so the risk of freezing rain should end by tonight. Tomorrow morning. Along the island, we are going to see some rain developing as early as the morning hours. Most areas across Metro Vancouver will start to see the rain for the afternoon. It'll be soggy and continuing to see that instability towards the evening. The northern half of the province, it'll be wet and windy along the coast. Temperatures will be up to 7 degrees. The snow is going to taper off inland. Much of the central interior seeing the snowfall picking up towards the afternoon. And the southern half tomorrow could see a few isolated flurries. It looks like the snow line is going to be near the valley bottom tomorrow, and we are going to see that potential for a few flurries. Whistler could see anywhere between two and up to four centimeters. Check in with Drive BC if you're heading along the sea to sky and the south coast. We'll see the bulk of the moisture, especially towards the afternoon. Highs tomorrow will be up to six degrees. We've got scattered showers. Heads up could be a blustery day on our Tuesday and then a bright spot will be both for Thursday, Friday so far. Colleen? Great weather to stay home in. Thank you so much, Yvonne. We have an update on that breaking news. We'll tell you about Ryan Reynolds in a sec, but we want to tell you what's going on now that we had it at the top of the show. Uh, an update on the daring and complicated rescue in Squamish. Nearly two dozen search and rescue volunteers have been deployed to help a paraglider stuck on the grand wall of the Squamish chief. We're told the man in his 30s got into trouble when the wind blew him towards the chief. His parachute became stuck on a tree where he remains suspended at this hour, three hours after the initial incident. SAR volunteers are lowering themselves to the location to complete a rope rescue, but it will likely take several more hours. 
The man is said to be injured, but not seriously. So there's some. This is something that our volunteers uh, do train for. Like I said, uh, our rope team is highly skilled and and uh, fully capable of doing these types of rescues. But certainly, doing anything in the dark elevates the um, amount of caution that we have to take prior to deploying the rescuer over the edge, and it just slows the process down. He's funny. He's generous. He's Vancouver's own Ryan Reynolds. This week on the Today Show, he told host Kota Kopi about what it was like quarantining with family this year. You know, I, it's tough because, you know, I am not living paycheck to paycheck like so many people uh, across the country are and, and the world. But, uh, you know, for me, the best, I would say, you know, obviously, is the, is the time spending with family, with my kids, you know, um, having an incredibly concentrated amount of time with them during a period in their lives that I'll never get back that if I'm to pick the worst thing, it's probably the incredibly concentrated amount of time I've had with my kids in a time that I'll never get back. Some good, some bad, right? That's why we love him, because he's honest. <laughs> <laughs> what have you got coming up, Barry? Well, uh, NBA season actually starts uh, a month from tomorrow, and Raptors fans very pleased to hear the news today <laughs> that they have re-signed Fred Van Vliet to a new contract. Oh, so we'll wow. have uh, it's big money. I think Fred can take us all out for dinner for the next few years, perhaps. Uh, but he's cashed in, but he deserves it. So we've got that and some uh, news with Alfonso Davies. Watch the Global News and 980 CKNW Leadership Series every Saturday and Sunday in partnership with Fortis BC Energy at Work. We've all received a text or a phone call from a wrong number before, but a recent wrong text brought something unexpected to both the texter and the recipient. It also proves that civility and kindness are alive and well. This was a, a, a simple misrouted text that ended into a, a blessing for everybody. Leslie because Fisher was trying to text someone about a turkey order, and when she received the reply, Leslie realized she texted the wrong number. It says, I'm sorry, this is Leslie Fisher. I need my turkey. She said, hi, Leslie. Unfortunately, I believe you have the wrong number. I am a broke college kid in Knoxville, not a turkey dealer. Oh, Lord, I am so sorry. The student was Charles Giroux. Paying for college is a struggle. Uh, I go to community college to study engineering. Charles told Leslie he hopes she finds a turkey and wished her a happy Thanksgiving. And in return, she offered to buy Charles lunch by sending money to his cash app. I have a son that's in college, and I know exactly how he feels being a broke college student. But when Leslie posted the screenshot of the text on Facebook as a joke, both strangers didn't expect what happened next. I received the text yesterday and thought it was extremely nice of her to offer to buy me lunch. She posted the exchange on Facebook, and since then I have received dozens of donations. <laughs> Leslie's friends and even strangers were sending Charles money just because... No questions asked. Right now, people have sent me close to $2,000. <laughs> I felt a little bit guilty about getting all this money. That's why he is choosing to pay it forward. I plan on donating to some local charities like Second Harvest and giving some of that to money to Leslie and her son. Leslie says she wasn't expecting Charles to pay it back to her. The intent was to show this young man that, that this is who I am as a parent and as a person. These two are no longer strangers. Charles is now part of Leslie's family. We all have another son. Kelsey Gibbs, News Channel 5.
Help save lives with TB Vets. TB Vets arms the front line in the fight for respiratory care by providing critical respiratory equipment, research, and education in British Columbia. Donate today and receive a key tag to place on your important items in case you ever lose them. TBVets.org for details. December 1st is the 43rd annual Pledge Day, and for the first time ever, it's happening virtually. Although we can't be there in person, the CKNW Kids Fund still welcomes you to their largest fundraiser of the year. Tune into 980 CKNW and pledge your support. Global BC, celebrating 60 years of broadcasting, celebrating 60 years as BC's news. Just ahead of Barry of Sports Story of sorts, it was a very slow move for the Canucks' newest goalie, Braden Holtby. He got stuck at the Canada-U.S. border this week because of the family's pet tortoises. They weren't allowed to cross. His wife's appeal for help went viral, and we have a very happy update. Holtby's wife, Brandy, showing off a picture of honey and maple with the Canadian flag, saying that the trio, her husband included, have finally made it to Canada. She thanked the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service for coming through and helping with the necessary paperwork. U.S. Fish and Wildlife says they were happy to help the now celebrities. Get it, Barry? Get it? Celebrities? Yeah, Shel- I do. Ev- I do get it, Colin. Anyway. I was just going to say the, the Canucks teammates are, uh, Braden Holpe's going to hear about this forever. I mean, this is what guys do to each other. They're going to roast him big time. <laughs> Any kind of turtle or shell, bad shell jokes, hopefully better than that. This is going to be part of, the, part of the dressing room lore if they ever start their seasons. You know it. Anyway. Off to a slow start, I guess, right? There you go. Thanks, Colleen. Toronto Raptors uh, fans can breathe a sigh of relief. Today, the Raps signed free agent guard Fred Van Vliet to a four-year, $85 million deal. Steady Freddie has become one of the best clutch performers in the NBA, and it's not a stretch to say the Raps may not have won their NBA title without Van Vliet's heroics back in the 2019 finals against Golden State. Van Vliet has, uh, was one of the most coveted free agents on the market. His signing keeps one of the NBA's best backcourts intact, playing alongside Kyle Lowry. The 26-year-old Van Vliet averaged about 18.7 assists a game last season. The Raps signed him as an undrafted free agent back in 2016, and he just worked and worked his way into the lineup, and now he will be a staple there for four more years. We'll see now if the Raps try to re-sign power forward Serge Ibaka. All right, some golf now. Third round of the LPGA's Pelican Championship from Tampa Bay, Florida. Canada's Brooke Henderson. She seems to always be in contention. Look at this delicate putt. Has to play a few feet of break there. Knocks it in for birdie. Brooke with a 466, tied fifth now at six under. American Allie McDonald on the tee at the par 3 12th, about 130 yards, and she likes it. She likes it. Is it? Oh, she loves it. It's a hole in one for Ellie McDonald. She is in second place at nine under, but way out front is South Korea's Se Young Kim, fresh off her first major last month. She reeled off four straight birdies from 14 through 17 to leave the pack in the dust. Great tee shot on the par three as uh, Se Young Kim has a five shot lead at 14 under after three rounds of the Pelican Championship. PGA Tour stop is the RSM Classic from Sea Island, Georgia. Robert Streb had the lead after two rounds and he's got the lead after three rounds. His approach here on the eighth in some very windy conditions. Hits it to three feet, made the birdie 
Three under 67 for Streb. He's at 17 under. Zach Johnson made a big move today. Five under 65, punctuated by this 31 footer for Birdie at 18. Johnson is second, but he's three behind Streb. Corey Connors, top Canadian, tied for 14th at nine under. Merritt's Roger Sloan is 41st. He's at five under. Hadwin and Taylor both missed the cut. ATP Tour finals in London. First semifinal between world number one, Novak Djokovic. And world number three, Dominic Team of Austria, an epic match. Djokovic fought off match points in the second set tiebreak. Needed this huge forehand winner that just bit the line to save one of them. He eventually won that set to force a third. That third set also went to a tiebreak. Team came back from 4-1 down in the tiebreak. And what a backhand winner he hit. Upsets Djokovic in three sets in a high-quality match. So team on to tomorrow's final. In the other semi, world number two, Rafa Nadal against number four, Daniel Medvedev of Russia. Nadal won the first set, but Medvedev bounced back in set two. This is fantastic tennis again on both sides. Nadal stretches here at net for the volley, but Medvedev chases it down for the winner, and he took the second set. Third set, key moment, three all, Medvedev will load up the backhand to pass Nadal, gets the break, he would win the match in three sets. So the top two players failed to make it to the ATP Tour final. It's uh, Medvedev versus team in tomorrow's championship. English Premiership, Tottenham and Manchester City, and Spurs will get the early jump in this one, just five minutes in, a great through ball to Song Hung Min. One touch, then through the goalkeeper's legs. Another look, Song with the cool finish, and it's one Nil Tottenham. City had an overwhelming share of the possession, but nothing to show for it. 65th minute, Harry Kane on the run, slides it over to substitute Giovanni Lasalso. Wasn't even on the pitch for a minute. Eggs his first ever Premier League goal. Man City win it 2-0. Tottenham now top of the table. 6-2 and a 1-2 record. Man City is way down in 11th, eight points back. All right, MLS playoffs, New York City FC and Orlando going to penalty kicks after being tied 1-1 through 120 minutes. A bizarre situation. Orlando was forced to bring in defender Rodrigo Schlegel as an emergency keeper because their regular keeper was uh, ejected after arguing earlier in the shootout. But Schlegel made the save, and then that led to the winner from Benji Michel as Orlando City advanced to the Eastern Semis with the win. Let's actually skip then go to Alfonso Davies here instead as our last story. Because that's big news coming up. Alfonso Davies has finished third in the Golden Boy Award voting today. It's an award for the best under-21 player who's playing at the highest club level. Davies lost out to Erling Holland, who plays in the Bundesliga as well for Dortmund. Now, the voting was done by fans and an expert panel in Italy, but a lot of soccer people are wondering out loud how Davies, who won three trophies this year and was dominant, could possibly finish third and not win the award. But... I'm sure he's happy if uh, just being mentioned that in that group. He is certainly a rising star. He's currently out with an ankle injury and could still miss another few weeks. But Alfonso Davies, even though he didn't win the award, still a champ in our eyes. Oh, absolutely. And he's got years ahead of him. He sure does. Lots. No, a look at this next story. An almost century-old piece of Vancouver sports history could be yours. 
for the right price. This 1922-23 Vancouver Millionaire's hockey sweater is up for bids in the Leland's Fall Classic auction. The heavy wool cardigan has some wear and tear, but it's the only known team garment to ever be put up for sale to the public. The auctioneer says it was given to the players and a few VIPs after the Vancouver Millionaires won the 1923-24 Pacific Coast Hockey Championship. That was the year the team changed its name to the Maroons. Leland's believes only about 15 sweaters were issued and says they'll be disappointed if it sells for less than $10,000. Bids start at $1,000 and close December 11th. To find something like this sweater with the historical importance that comes with it uh, is really quite amazing. Uh, it belongs in, it, it actually was in the Hall of Fame, but it, it belongs in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, I know they have a few items relating to the millionaires, but uh, this sweater is just with all, you know, it means a lot to Vancouver. And uh, hopefully somebody up there buys it. Barry, can you see yourself in that? I could, I could be a very distinguished gentleman at a uh, cocktail party. <laughs> When we're allowed to go to cocktail yeah, parties. Yeah, we're allowed. That could be a while. <laughs> that is the news hour for tonight. Thanks for watching. Jordan's here at 11. Stay with us now for the new reality. Good night.